Open up your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter 4, and if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in verse 12 and read through verse 19. First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, we pray right now for this, uh, this message, and as a song we just sung, I pray that through this message we would see Christ. We would see the comforter, the great comforter who comforts us. So I ask your blessings upon it. Father, I must decrease and you must increase. So please hide this messenger and may your words come through my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all say that we have a strong foundation. We all would say that Our faith in Christ is pretty strong. But you don't know how strong your foundation is until after a storm has passed. You can say and talk all you want about your foundation and how strong it is, but it will be revealed how strong it is after a storm comes through. And if you remain standing, then you'll know that your foundation was strong. So in these seven verses that Peter tells us here, he he explains four attitudes that are necessary in order to be triumphant in these things that he calls fiery trials that come our way. So number one, we must expect them. We must expect trials. As Christians, as children of God, we must expect trials. Verse 12 Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Suffering is the norm for Christians. It should not surprise us. And and not only should we not be surprised that we suffer for our faith, but just as human beings and us being alive and living in this world, suffering is going to come our way. And if it hasn't come your way yet, then live a little bit longer and it's sure to find you. Um, you know, this time it, it's a little difficult for me. I, I lost my father three years ago on Father's Day, and, and it's still soft. You know, I watched him pass right before my eyes. And I always remember looking at my dad and, you know, just being big and strong. Well, there came a time where he was frail and weak, and he died, thinking that that could never happen, but it does. I've seen other parents die and other people die, but it never came to me. And finally, it did come to me. And, and, it, and it hit me. It was difficult. But I'm thankful for the foundation that I have in Christ and on his word. And that peace that surpasses all understanding, it guarded my mind and guarded my heart. Because I know my dad's in heaven. So as a Christian, we need to expect them. And then he says right here, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you as to test you, though something strange has happened to you. That word something strange actually means to fall by chance. The Christian must not think his persecution is something that happened accidentally. No, God allowed it and designed it for the believer's testing, purging, and cleansing. You know, in in the last 20 years of my life, I have grown a lot. And I kind of wish that God would have done that to me, maybe while I was sleeping, where I didn't feel anything, but... The reason I've grown so much and, and I've gotten stronger, my foundation's gotten stronger, because I've gone through a lot. 
I've gone through a lot of trials. And I can't look at these trials as, as something like bad happening to me, but knowing what Scripture says, that, that God is strengthening us. He's testing us. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. And we wish that it could be done a le- an easier way, but that's how God does it to his children. He allows trials and troubles to come in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. We have to understand that. We have to get that in us right now, that we are going to suffer, not only for our faith, but we are also going to go through suffering in this world. We, also, we know that God brings blessings to us all, and we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for the blessings in my life, the good times in my life, but we also know that God allows troubles and difficulties. Can you testify that? He does, doesn't he? Um, matter of fact, James calls it various trials. Peter calls it fiery trials. James calls it various trials. Various trials, the actual verb, means to put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature or quality. So, like I started off, if, you're, if you say you have a strong foundation in Christ, you can guarantee that that's going to be tested by trials. Trials are going to come your way to test. That's what various trials means. To put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature or quality. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm scared to pray things. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared to pray things. You know, asking God to take me deeper with him or, you know, to make me be a vessel because he will. And isn't it, isn't it amazing how when we pray that to God, Lord, I want to go deeper with you. Make me a vessel for your honor and glory. And he answers your prayer. And he puts you through fiery trials. And then all of a sudden we pray, oh, God, help me. <laughs> help me from relief. And he's like, well, I'm just answering what you asked me to do. That's how God works in us. Trials challenge our faith and shows us how strong our foundation really is. Number two, Peter says in these verses, in verse 13, He says, but rejoice. Trials, rejoice. That doesn't seem to go together, does it? (laughs) Trials, rejoicing. Matter of fact, James also says it too. He says, count it all joy. Rejoice. This this joy is the fact. When when, when Peter here is saying, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, it's not an emotion. It's not being happy and smiling and say, whoopee. But this, this word rejoice is in the fact that Christ is returning and he has put a time limit on your suffering. In this world, we're going to suffer and have persecution. But we're rejoicing that one day Christ will return and put an end to that. When James says count it all joy, it means a spiritual enduring. It's an enduring through these trials. It's a calm delight in a God who is faithful, who's going to bring my trials to an end someday. And in that, that's what I'm rejoicing in. I'm not rejoicing that this happened to me, but I'm rejoicing and I have spiritual endurance, a calm delight in the faithful God who has put a limit on my suffering. And oh, by the way, he will never give us more than what we can handle, right? Now, why are we to consider it joyful. Well, we have to understand this, and sometimes in our trials we forget about this. God is sovereign, and he rules over all things, and he rules over our trials and persecutions and sufferings. He's, a loving, and, he's loving and faithful, and we have to remember Romans eight twenty eight that he causes some things, all, all things, trials, joyful times, happy times, Miserable times, suffering times, tragedy times, sad times. He causes all things to work together for good, for our good. And it's hard to see that with our natural eyes because our emotions get in the way of it. That's when we turn to God's word and let the word of God comfort us. I don't understand this. I don't know why I'm going through this right now. I don't know why that person died. I don't know why this happened to me. I don't know why, but I know that God does. 
And he is going to work this out for my good. Even though I can't see it right now, I might not see it for 10, 20 years. I might not see it until I get to eternity. But I know he will work it out for my good. Number three, he tells us in verses 15 through 18, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, as an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He tells us now to evaluate the cause of the suffering. Is this due to sin? Now we know from Scripture that sin does cause suffering, right? Sin does cause suffering. When we are in sin and, and we're keeping sin in us and not confessing us like that, we can suffer. But we also know from Scripture that not all sin, uh, not all suffering is due to sin. We have in John chapter 9, remember the disciples came up to Jesus and said, uh, which one of his parents sinned because he's born blind? And they thought because somebody sinned, that's the reason why he was born blind and he was suffering. And of course, Jesus' response was, Neither. He was born blind for one purpose, for this exact moment where I would come and bring glory to my Father. How would you like to be that person that was born blind just to glorify God at that specific moment? You know, you look at that and you would say, oh, wow, that, that, that seems kind of unfair that he would lose his sight for that amount of time just for this specific purpose. But that's how God created it. That's how God designed for that person to be. And when we go through different trials, not all of us are going through the same trials. There are different difficulties, different levels. But each of us in here are going through some stuff. Um, so is it due to sin? Or am I suffering for my faith? Am I being persecuted at work? Did I not get that raise? Or did I not get that promotion because they know I'm a Christian and, and, and whatever? Or is it just life? Is it just, hey, you know what? We're, we live in this world and it's fallen and it's sinful. And we suffer. We get sick. There's cancer. There's drunk drivers. That's what we have in this world. But I want to focus on the last one, number four, and it's verse 19. That's what I really want to focus on today. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, hear that? Let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their soul is a banking term, which means to deposit for safekeeping. It's like if you come into a lot of money, you would take it to that bank and get that safety deposit box and put it in there because you know that nobody could get to that except you. It is safe. When, when he says here that there's a faithful creator, Peter says this to remind his readers that when they committed their lives to God, they were simply giving back to God what he had created. As a creator, God knows what's best for his creatures, right? We don't know what's best for us. Uh, a lot of things that I have gone through in my life, I would have never taken myself down that road. But God knows me better than I know myself, and God knows what I need more than I, I know. So we entrust ourselves to the faithful creator because he made us. Now, real quick, keep your finger here on, on 1 Peter, but turn over to Acts chapter 20. And I want to read you something here about the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 17. I love the Apostle Paul and, and just the stuff that he went through. It says in verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, watch this now, with all humility, with tears, and with trials. I, I'm serving the Lord. I'm in, I'm in God's will, and I'm doing his will, and I'm serving him with humility, tears, and trials. That happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit or bound in the Spirit, which means this. 
Paul is saying, I have gotten my orders from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has confirmed in me a, a great conf- confirmation in my spirit from the Holy Spirit. And this is what it is. Not knowing what will happen to me there, but I know two things. The Holy, tes- the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How would you like to have that ministry? I don't know if I'm going to have any good meals, sleep in any good hotels, have any great meetings, but I know two things the Holy Spirit has guaranteed me. Everywhere I go, chains and tribulation await me. But now watch what he says after this. This is remarkable. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of grace and of God. Isn't that amazing? Everywhere I go, I'm going to get thrown in prison and I'm going to be beaten for serving Christ. But I don't consider my life my own. He's also the one who penned Galatians 2.20, right? I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. He's dead. He's dead to this world. He's dead to what people can do to him. He's dead to the suffering around him. For the sole purpose is that he may be able to finish his race with joy that Christ had him to do. Wouldn't that be awesome that when your life is over, you could stand before your creator and say, I finished my race. I've kept the faith. And I've done it joyfully. And we all know what the Apostle Paul went through, right? He went through quite a bit. So, going back to 1 Peter, is God enough? Will God do what he says he will do? How about this? Ask yourself this question. Is God trustworthy? In your suffering, in your persecution, in your sickness, in your marriage, in the death of a loved one, whatever your situation might be, is he trustworthy? To do what he said he will do. That means to find out that answer, you have to let go and fall. And if he says he will do what he will do, he will catch you. But you don't find that out until you let go. There's your testing and trials. Job said in Job thirteen fifteen, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Though he take my life, though this happens, though this might happen, though this has happened, though this has happened, in spite of all that, I am going to trust God. I mean, what else can you do? You know, I've counseled many, many men uh, in, in the past years, and all of them have this one thing, that something happened to them, and it was so uh, difficult for them, that they either started drinking or taking drugs because they did not want to feel. They couldn't stand to feel the pain or the hurt or the loss or whatever it is, and they become addicted, and their whole life is, is controlled by alcohol and stuff like that because they can't feel. It's too difficult. And, and we have to understand, we, we have to go through this. But we have one who is faithful, and we can go to him and he will comfort us, and he will help us. So when Job says, he will, though, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him, I want to look at some of the things that Job went through and bring some things out and um, ask ourselves some questions. So turn with me to Job chapter 1 real quick. And in your bulletin, you, can, uh, you see there's three things here. In Job chapter 1, We're going to read verses 1 through 3 real quick. Give a little background of him. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. 
So you see here that Job was a very wonderful and godly man. He was a holy man. He was a God-fearing man. He was also very wealthy. He had lots of children, and it was evident that God's blessing was upon his life. You could see uh, in Job's life right there that, that God had blessed him. And the devil thinks that Job loves God because. There, ha- there has to be a reason. Job loves God because God's been good to him or, or he bought him off. Or See, the devil thinks that anybody who serves God without some sort of motive is a fool. Let me ask you this morning, why do you love God? Do you love him because he's been good to you? Do you love him because he's given you a lot of money or given you a lot of children or you have a great marriage or great talents or job or whatever? Is that the reason you love him? Because let me ask you this. What if that were to be taken away? As we know, what happened to Job, right? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Look at verse 6. find it here. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Um, excuse me. All right. Verse 4, I'm sorry. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on, this, on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So Job was a man who prayed for his children. He knew that his children could be doing this and that, and he was a man that would rise up early and, and, and pray for him. So I want to look at three things here. And you look in your bulletin. Um, can God be trusted when you're submerged in suffering? Can you say that today? No matter what comes my way, I will trust God. So question number one again. Can God be trusted when you are submerged in suffering? Job chapter 1, look at verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, while he was yet speaking, there came another. You get this picture? As Job, the first person comes to Job, and as he's telling him what happened, they start lining up one by one. Now, I, I, I've had some difficult days in my life, but I've never had anything like this. Whenever I have a difficult time or a situation that, that I'm scared or I'm suffering, I always turn to this book and find out that there's always someone suffering more than I am. And if you, if you take your eyes off yourself and not making light of your suffering, but there's always someone who's going through a little bit more difficult time, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Now watch this. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I have alone escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I have alone escaped to tell you. So right here, Job loses all of his money. He loses everything he has. He has no money left. What if you were to lose all your money? What if your retirement fell and, and you didn't have any more? What if your savings account is emptied because of what somebody did and it's zero and you do not have a penny left to your name like happened to Job? Would you still come to church and worship God? Would you still say him? Would you still sing like we sung that song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord? You know, a lot of times when we sing songs like that, we, we, we sing them because they're songs and we sing them. But do we really mean them? Do we really mean, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, when I'm, when I'm walking and suffering and I'm in the land of the wilderness and I don't know what's going on? Is God still worthy to be worshiped and praised? Yes, He is. Absolutely. So Job loses all of his money, but the devil's not through, is he? Look at verse 18. 
While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I have alone escaped to tell you. So not only does he lose his money, he loses all of his children. Not just one, all of them. And you look at, in the world today, you look at Alabama last year, that great tornado that happened. I mean, life was just hunky-dory and everything was going great. And all of a sudden, bam, here comes a storm and it wipes them out. Out of nowhere. Hundreds of thousands of lives gone. Houses ripped apart. Nothing left. Absolutely gone. Can you still trust God? When something like that happens to you? Oh, by the way, you have no more money left. So you can't go to the bank. And now you have no children. I can't imagine what he would be going through. I mean, just a loss of, of, of one child. Some of you in here maybe have lost a child. You understand the, the hurt and the pain that goes through this. He lost every one of his child, every one of his children. They're gone. And yet the devil's still not through. Look at Job chapter 2, verse 4. Then Satan answered. The Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, will he give his life? Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Look at that statement. You see, God, this is what the devil's saying. Job loves you because you've been good to him. But let me out him just for a little bit. Let me bring some trials his way. Let me bring some, I'm not talking about little bad days here and there. I'm talking about suffering and trials that you can't do anything about. You have no idea. It just blindsided you and hit you and you're in that position. Let me do that to him and watch what he will do. He'll curse you to your face. And a sovereign God said, go ahead. Just don't touch his life. So now... Satan goes out and covers him from, with boils from head to toes. He's in such pain that he sits and ta- breaks a, a pot and he scrapes these sores off his face and off his body. What would happen if you became terminally ill? There, there could be some of us in here right now that are terminally ill and don't even know about it. It happens to everybody. It happens to a lot of people and we know it. What if that were to happen to us today? We've lost all our money. We've lost every one of our children. And now I'm terminally ill. I'm sick. I've got cancer. I've got this. I'm going to die. Can God be trusted in that situation? Remember, we're seeing how how strong our foundation is. And we could say, yeah, God can be trusted and I'll trust him. But we don't know that until we actually go through it. Until until it's passed, then we see how strong our foundation is. And I'm just encouraging you here with with the word. This isn't just a fairy tale. This actually happened. This is a real life situation. This is a real man that went through these difficulties. Loses his money, loses his children, loses his health, but the devil's still not through. Job chapter 4 and verse 7 Remember who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the right upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. But the breath of God, but by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. So here, Job now loses his reputation. He's already lost his money, his children, and now he's got terminally, terminally ill or something like that. And now his friends come along and you would think that they would comfort him. And they're basically saying, well, whoever perished being innocent. In other words, what they're saying is, Job, you, you, you've got some secret sin going on here. You must have some sin that you're not telling us or confessing to God because God wouldn't allow you to go through this. But we already found out earlier, according to John 9, that not all suffering is due to sin. But here Job is innocent. 
He's upright and blameless. He's done nothing wrong, and all this stuff's happening to him. And his friends come and, and, and tell him that he, he's not the person that he is. And a lot of these prosperity teachers will tell you that if you just get right with God, you just give your life over to Christ, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and you'll have comfort. Hopefully we know that that is a lie. Some of God's most holy and faithful people have suffered greatly. Let me read you Acts chapter 9, verse 13 through 16 real quick about the Apostle Paul. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Watch this now. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That was Paul. He was a vessel of God to do God's will. And God says, I need to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. If God's love for his children is shown by health, wealth, and comfort, then he hated the Apostle Paul. He had anything but health, wealth, and comfort. This man suffered beyond imagination. And probably next to the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody suffered like that. He was beaten constantly. He was left alone to death, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, forsaken by friends, all for doing the will of God in the will and plans and purposes of God. And he suffered tremendously. Faith is not a way to get out of trouble. It's a way to endure it. Faith is not a way to get out of trouble. It's a way to endure trouble. Let me read to you real quick Hebrews chapter 11. We all know that pretty well. The Hall of Faith men. We're going to begin in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fall me, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Boy, you look at that and you read that and you're like, man, oh man, I love that. If that's what Christianity is, sign me up, right? I love the victory. I love the conquering. I love defeating these and being victorious. But we seem to stop when we read Hebrews 11, we seem to stop there for some reason. But if you continue to read on in verse 36... It says, however, others suffered. Who, who, who are these others? They, they don't even get their names written in the Bible. And it says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and earth. What did they do wrong? What, what, what did they do wrong to, to have that type of lifestyle? Absolutely nothing. That's what God chose for them. That's what God chose for them. Do you have faith to be delivered? That's great. Let me ask you this question. Do you have faith to die? Do you have faith to die? Could you say today, Lord Jesus, I will die for you. No matter what comes my way, no matter what you want me to do, I am an empty vessel. I have been bought. I've been purchased by the, son, by the blood of your son, and I am yours. You use me how you see fit. So that's why we have to pray. Nevertheless, what? Not my will be done. Because if I'm going to pray for my will, I'm going to be in the, the first class there. The victory, the power, the conquering. I don't, I don't want this suffering. But that might be God's will for us. Faith is not receiving from God what you want. Faith is not receiving from God what you want. Faith is accepting from God what he gives. What he gives. 
Though he slay me, will you trust him? Though he slay you, will you still trust in him? Question number two. Can God be trusted when you are forsaken by friends and family? What a horrible place to be in when you're going through a lot of suffering and your own friends and your own family members have somehow forsaken you and they're not there and you go through it alone. Job chapter 19, verse 14. My relatives have failed me and my close friends have forgotten me. That's tragic. My relatives have failed me and my close friends have forgotten me. You know, church, we, we have people in this church right now that are struggling, that are suffering from loss of loved ones, maybe from a divorce, maybe from illness, whatever the situation might be. Please, let's not be this. Let's not forget about those people. Let, let, let's pick them out. Let's, let's find where they're at and let's encourage them. Let's go and be a part of their suffering the way we're called to be. Let's rejoice like Pastor said last week. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How about Job 19, 19? All my intimate friends abhor me and those whom I love have turned against me. Boy, when you're suffering the, the most in your life and your friends and family forsake you, it's difficult. How about Psalms 41.9? Even my close friends in whom I trusted who ate my bread, Lord Jesus here, has lifted up his heel against me. See, he understands. He understands what it's like to be forsaken by friends and family. His own rejected him. That's why we can go to him when you're going through suffering and when you're going through trials and stuff like that. You can go to him. He understands. He's been through it. That's why it's always good to, you know, if, if you know somebody that has already gone through something that you're going through right now, to go to them and to get encouragement, to get prayer, to get encouraged by the word of God. That's what we're here for. Psalms 55, verses 12 through 14 for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals instantly with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. So you see, he understands. If, if, it, was a, if it was a stranger, so like I, you know, I can understand, but it's you. It's my own man. It's my own family. It's my own friend. Can God still be trusted when you've lost all your money and all your health and all your, all your children and, and your reputation has been destroyed? And then you go to your friends and family and they're nowhere to be found and they start telling you that you're this and that? Can God still be trusted? Absolutely. Go back to Job chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Wow. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what his wife told him. Now, you remember what the devil told God before this all started? He said, God, he loves you because... But you just put your hand away from him. You let me at him. You let me bring some suffering his way, and he'll what? He'll curse you to your face. So his, his wife here actually takes the action Satan said Job would do in the first place. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And then Job responded, you speak as one of the foolish woman would speak. That word foolish woman means one who rejects God or God's revealed will. Foolish woman. One who rejects God or, or his revealed will. This was God's will. Why? We don't understand. But it was God's will. And then he says this. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Are we here just to expect nothing but good 
Shall we receive all good and, and no evil? Well, I kind of wish it was like that. But unfortunately, it's not. We are going to receive our share of suffering, trials, and persecution. You can guarantee it, and you need to expect it. And then he said, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips or charge God with wrong. See, he was living out Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. His words and his deeds demonstrated his confidence in God. Shall we not expect hard times? Shall we not expect difficult times? Shall we just only expect good times? No. Let me get moving here because I'm running a little bit behind. Question number three, can God be trusted? This is a difficult one here. Can God be trusted when you're in darkness? Can God be trusted when these things are happening to you and you have no clue why? Now remember, we know what's going on, right? Because we've read the book of Job. We, we understand what's happening here. But, but can I just let you know that Job had never read, had never read the book of Job before? Huh? He's never read this before. He's in absolute darkness. He has no clue why this is going on. He doesn't understand. Job chapter 23. Turn to Job chapter 23 and look at uh, verse 1. He's in complete darkness. He said this. Job chapter 23 starting at verse 1. Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and, and, and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. You see, Job is tired of arguing his case before his friends, telling them that he's innocent. He's longing to be able to come before God directly because Job trusts that his ways are truly known and would be vindicated by God. He's sitting there and he's talking to his friends until he's blue in the face and he's saying, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong and you're telling me I have and I'm longing to plead my case to God so that he would vindicate me. But here's the problem. I can't find him. I don't know where he's at. I'm going through all this difficulty and suffering, and God's nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt like that? That is difficult. Look at verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And I go backward, but I do not perceive him. I go to the left hand, and he, uh, when he is working, I do not behold him. And he turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. So Job absolutely has no clue what's going on and he's seeking God he's crying out to God and God is nowhere to be found where are you God I'm struggling I'm hurting I'm tired I can't take it anymore answer me I've been in those situations and they're difficult they're difficult God, answer me now. I've got to have direction. I've got to know what is going on here. And it's quiet. What do we do then? When we're at that point, what do we do? We turn to God's word. This is how he speaks to us. Look at this scripture. Psalms 34, verse 18 through 19. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many... You hear that word? Many. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's where we find our comfort. That's where we find our joy. Psalms 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So when you're going through these trials and you lose all your money and you lose all your health and all of your children and, and, and it's completely darkness and you have no clue of what's going on or why it's happening, you go to the word of God 
and you get these promises out of his word, and there are many promises in the word of God, and you get them in you, and you read them while you're crying, and you read them while you're hurting, and you're reading why, you read them while you're mourning, and you get them in you, and they comfort you. And it says, just like Isaiah said right there, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Why? Because he trusts in you. God, you're faithful. You're sovereign. And why this has happened, I don't know, but I know that you do. And therefore, since I know that you do, I'm going to trust in your plans and your will for my life. That's what we do. When we've done all that we've known to do, we what? We remain standing. I put here, joyful endurance through trials and suffering speaks more loudly for the reality of a loving and powerful God than do buildings and programs. You could tell people about your church and your buildings and programs that you're having, but you want to you, you speak for a loving and awesome God? Let them see you go through major trials and tribulation and you keep your joy and your trust and faith in a sovereign God who will not fail his children and you watch how that speaks to them. It will. Don't lean on your own understanding and try to figure your trials out. I'm going to close with this scripture in Isaiah chapter 50. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his voice and obeys the voice of his servant? Question mark. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Do not lean on your own understanding in these difficult times. Don't do it. Your emotions and feelings will get in the way. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire who equip yourself with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. And watch this. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. And that word kindle a fire is the false light of one's own wisdom. It's the false light of one's own wisdom. When you're going through these times, difficulties, and you don't understand don't try to figure it out. Don't, don't try to work your way out of it. When, when, when difficult times come and that pressure comes, the first thing we want to do is jump ship and get out from under it because it's too difficult, it's too hard. But God wants us to stay in there and stay under it until he's finished. And when he's finished, you're going to come out of it more stronger, more full of faith. And then it won't be long. And you'll go through another trial. And that faith that you were strengthened with back in that one is going to help you to go through this one. Because that's what life is. So don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust on a sovereign God. Stay in there. Be encouraged by his word. He will never bring more to you than you can handle. He loves you. He's got a perfect plan for your life. And if you trust him, you will see this happen. Real quick, and most of you kind of know, my last job, I, uh, I was a pastor at my church, and the, my theology changed. I started reading the Bible, and the doctrines of grace began to appear in, 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 in me, and, and I started reading and studying the Scripture and, and found out that you know, I, I could no longer teach at the church I was at. And um, I, I left the church, but I was also a full-time pastor there, which means I got, I got paid. So now, not only did I leave the church, but I left my job. And I always remember sitting, lying in bed one night, telling Cheryl, you know, I'm, I, just, I just want to do something faithful for God. I'm praying these prayers. You know, God, use me mightily and stuff like that. And she said, well, okay, here's your chance. And, and when this happened, I left the church, which I loved, and I loved pastoring. I loved, you know, being the children's pastor and the men's pastor. I loved it. But then I, then I also lost my job. I became unemployed for six months was standing in line. I went from making good salary to standing in line at food bank, getting money. I had no job, couldn't pay the bills. And then I ended up getting a job at McDonald's. And I'm going, what has happened to my life? What, what has just taken place? Well, if, if I'm not careful, I could sit there and think, you know what, this is wrong and I need to fix it. But I knew and Cheryl knew that we were in the will of God. We were in the plan of God. And if he's our Lord, we're going to obey him. 
Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. We're obeying God, and it took us here. I don't understand why. I don't know why, but I know he does, and we're in his will. So I hope you're encouraged this morning uh, by the word of God. If you're going through suffering, trials, pain, I'm not making light of it, I, I, I want to pray for you. Uh, but just be encouraged that, that God knows what's going on. He's faithful, and uh, amen. Let me pray real quick. Holy Father, I, uh, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word to encourage these precious people. Father, I pray for them right now. If any are going through difficulties, trials, loss of loved ones, divorce, loss of child, they've lost their job, they can't pay their bills, um, they're ill, they found out that they have a disease. God, I don't understand why that happens. I don't understand it all. But I know that you do. And I'm praying for them, Lord. I pray for those who are hurting right now. You're the only one that could help. You're the only one that has the comfort and the peace. God, I ask you to show yourself faithful. Father, please forgive us for ever complaining about what we don't have. Please forgive us for complaining that we don't have cellular service when we read people like Job who've lost everything. God, please help us to take our eyes off ourselves and get them on someone else who is going through a hard time. Help us to pray for them. Help us to encourage them. Help us to love them. Help us to make them meals. Do whatever we can to just encourage them. And Father, I thank you that you are faithful. You are a rock. You do not, you are not shaken. You, you will not be moved. And anyone who placed their trust and faith in you, Father, will be the same. Father, I pray for those this morning who possibly could be here that do not know you. Father, I pray through your word that they would come to know your son, Jesus Christ, that they would put their faith and trust in him. I urge them, Lord, to come. I implore them to come to you for salvation, for you will never turn anybody away. And Father, I pray most of all that you would be encouraged, you'd be blessed, you'd be glorified through the preaching of your word today. I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.